Welcome to University United Methodist Church. We are so glad to be together in worship this morning. My name is Toby Nguyen. I'm the pastor of Discipleship and Nurture. You can follow the links in this post in order to submit a prayer request, access the bulletin, or register your attendance. Let us now center our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in the opening prayer. Father, you sent your word to bring us truth and your spirit to make us holy. Through them, we come to know the mystery of your life. Help us to worship you, one God in three persons, by proclaiming and living our faith in you. We ask you this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, true and living, forever and ever. Amen.
God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. We're so very thankful for the generosity of so many children, youth, and adults who participate in the ministry of lecturing, reading scripture on Sunday mornings. And so we have folks here who represent this ministry. Uh, Nate, I'd love to hear from your perspective what it's like to be a lector at our church. Uh, thanks, Justin. So I started reading as a lector for our church when I was about nine years old. And at that time, all the lectors were adults. So it was very unusual for someone, especially so young, to be a lector at the church. Um, but Miss Melissa suggested it to me and encouraged me to take an active part in leading worship at our church. So I decided to take a chance and I ended up really liking it. So I've continued to lecture up until my current age. And now I am the oldest youth lector at our church. It's been a great experience and a wonderful way to be actively involved in the service at church. And thanks to lecturing, I've gotten to work together with so many great people and really be connected with the community. Um, I love being able to make active contributions in the service and know that I'm doing something that I enjoy while simultaneously doing good. And I'm really fortunate to have had this opportunity. And thanks so much to everyone that's heard me lecture and supported me along the way. Oh, thank you, Nate. We really appreciate it. Ivy, I, I'd like to hear from you as well. All right. Um, thank you. I initially decided to be a lector at our church because I enjoy public speaking. But another part of it is that it brings me closer to God and my church community. The first time I went behind the pulpit and read, I was rehearsing my lines over and over, hoping I would sound okay. And the minute I started talking, I felt so proud of myself. I felt like it was something I was meant to do. During the pandemic, it's been challenging not being able to go to church, but when I turn in my videos and recordings, I feel like that is a small part of keeping our church together. I'm so excited to be able to be able to be back in the church soon and be able to have that amazing experience again. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ivy. We're so appreciative of all your all that you brought uh, to our church in this ministry. Uh, Karen, you coordinate uh, the lectures, and so won't you tell us a bit about uh, that part of the ministry? Well, first off, I want to thank all of our lectors, past and present. You are all cherished and have done such a great job. Particularly during this pandemic, seeing you read scripture has just made the, the congregation, I'm sure, feel more connected. I certainly have. The last time we had a lector reading church was March 8th of 2020, but the pre-recorded lectures started on April 26th, so people really stuck, you know, stepped up to the plate. It took a while for us to figure out how to function during the pandemic. Um, so, Right now, we're, I'm recruiting for both uh, the recording lectors as well as the in-person lectors because obviously we're starting up again, as you heard last Sunday, uh, this summer starting again in the fall. So we will need uh, in-person lectors as well as they're gonna continue with the recording lectors too. So I try to keep the roster at about 30 to 35 people because people get really busy and it's hard to find them. So if you would just contact me if you're interested in being a lector or if you just want more information, that's fine. 
sometimes people are hesitant to volunteer because they're worried about being perfect. But one thing I always tell the lectors is that this is church and you don't have to worry about being perfect. If you can't be perfect, you know, that you should not have to worry about it at church. And besides, nobody learns from perfection. You learn from mistakes. So please contact me. And one question that I have been asked more often than I would have guessed is, how do I select the scripture? Well, I don't. <laughs> the clergy do. So uh, let me know if you would like to read. Well, thank you, Karen. And I want to say a word of thanks to all uh, lectors past and present and all those who are about to join the ministry of lecturing. As we, as we talk about regathering in person in the life of our church, uh, we know that uh, it's going to take more folks to uh, be to help us do all the things that we have done before. And, and certainly we want more uh, folks to join our lecturing team. As we move into this time of offering, you can text in your gift by texting University UMC to the number 77977. If you're a member of another local church community, we encourage you to give locally as well. May we give with glad and generous hearts. Scripture lesson comes from Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He has blessed us in, in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God designed us to be his, his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This is according to his goodwill and plan and to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through the son whom he loves. We have been ransomed through his son's blood and we have forgiveness for our failings based on his overflowing grace which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. God revealed his design to us, which is according to his goodwill and plan that he intended to accomplish through his son. This is what God planned. This is what God planned for the climax of all times to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things on earth. We we have also received an inheritance in Christ. We were destined by the plan of God who accomplished everything according to his design. We are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were the first to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's such a joy to be in worship with you today, University United Methodist Church. As we prepare our hearts to hear today's message, will you pray with me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations on all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. To quote Phil Collins, I can't dance. Now that doesn't mean I'm afraid to dance. You know, it's like I start busting some moves and I think I'm looking like Justin Timberlake, but really I kind of just look like a Teletubby. The last time we had a middle school mission camp, the videographer caught footage of me dancing to music at a sweet potato gleaning project. You know, my hips don't lie, my arms are going to town, and I'm having a good time, right? And then they showed the dance footage at the end of the week video montage, and I kid you not, they froze the frame on a particularly awkward pose and labeled me OMB, Old Man Basic. I'm so fancy. You already know. Ooh. Ouch. And yet, accurate. Now, when my kids were little, we had this large living room with wooden floors. 
one of our favorite activities to do was to move the couch back and open up the floor. We'd crank some YouTube music videos and have dance parties with Beyonce. I may have been a terrible dancer, but my kids were too young to care. And I loved my kids too much to care. The three of us would dance all around the room, circling in and out of each other, laughing, singing, and shaking our groove thing. Spiritual author Wayne Dyer once said, when you dance, your purpose is not to get to a certain place on the floor, it's to enjoy each step along the way. The early church had a way of talking about God as a divine dance that I think is particularly useful for the church today. We tend to think of God in very static, patriarchal ways. God is like Zeus, ruling from the sky, from a distance, judgmental and wrathful. Jesus came to die and save us from God's anger. And the Holy Spirit does, I, I don't know, something important? So today is Trinity Sunday in the life of the church. And instead of giving you something deeply doctrinal to take a nap to, I want to invite you to come with me into the divine dance of a holy God. Now, I can't dance, but that doesn't mean I'm afraid to dance. And the point is not so much that you walk away with three important points about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The point is to enjoy each step along the way. So let's push the couch to the side, turn up the music, see what happens. We are finite creatures. Our ability to understand is limited from the start. And God is infinite. I mean, think about the first time you tried to wrap your brain around the concept of eternity. Like, when did everything begin? What came before that? When will everything end? What comes after that? Or think about the universe. Does it ever end? And if so, what's on the other side? These basic ideas about time and space are just too big to describe. So how are we supposed to describe a God who is literally bigger than time and space? Our limited, finite minds want categories. We want to contain the uncontainable. It helps us make sense of life and the world. We want to learn the right dance moves so we can do the Cupid shuffle correctly, you know? I see this all the time in youth ministry. As adolescents begin to develop abstract thinking skills, they suddenly have all these questions about the Christian faith. And the temptation of the church is to just answer these challenges with doctrine. This is what the church believes. You must learn it in confirmation and be able to repeat it. These are the creeds. Accept them at face value. And here are our black and white ethics. Live by them and you'll be saved. Now let me be the first to tell you that step number one to, the div to dancing the divine dance is doctrine is to serve God's action. What we believe always needs to follow what God is actually up to in Scripture and in the present. If you want to be able to talk about who God is, you need to be paying attention to what God does. The best way to illustrate it, I think, is with a story from Exodus 3. Moses was a long way from his people. He had once been a prince among slaves. He had 
seen an Egyptian abusing one of his own Hebrew people, and in a fit of righteous anger, Moses murdered the Egyptian slave master. He ran off and hid in the wilderness for decades, going from a prince to a wanted and yet unknown man. Now, one day, Moses was tending the sheep in the wilderness when he came across the divine dance. This time, the divine dance appeared as a flaming bush, yet somehow the bush was not destroyed by the flames. Up until this moment, Moses had his own ideas, his own doctrines about who God is. God is Elohim, the creator of all things, the God of gods, the ruler of the universe. God does not have much time for the affairs of a shepherd who got away with murder. God does not take interest in the suffering of the Hebrew slaves. But a voice came from the bush. An experience happened that, that challenged all of Moses' doctrines. The divine dance knew his name. The voice cried out, Moses, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of the land and bring them to a good land, a broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey. So get going, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The divine dance is revealed to Moses through the story of God's action in the life of Moses' ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This God is not a list of ideas, but an active participant in the story of humanity. But, but Moses offers excuses. Who is sending me? What's your name? After all, there, there's power in a name. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. The Hebrew name is Yahweh. The God of Moses' ancestors is a God of redemption, a God who calls forth and sends forth, a God who speaks, and through the action of God, Moses is called to act. That's the first step of the divine dance. Doctrine is to serve God's action. What we believe about God must always be rooted in what God has done and what God is doing. And what God is doing is constantly inviting people to participate in the divine dance. It's like God is always looking for a dance partner. In the Matrix trilogy, the character Seraph says to Neo, you do not truly know someone until you fight them. Moses fought God, but eventually decided to participate in God's call to action. In this context, I'd like to say, you do not truly know someone until you dance with them. God invites us to join in step with what the divine dance is up to in the world. And the only way we get to know God is through joining in partnership. But the God named Yahweh refuses categories. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And in this burning bush, we learn that God is for us. 
God is specifically for the Israelites, the oppressed and enslaved people whose ancestors God had blessed. We find in today's scripture reading that God's love for Israel is expanded through Christ. Ephesians 1.5 says, God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. Then in verse 10 it says, this is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things on earth. God is who God is. God will be who God will be, and God is decidedly for us. And what that looks like is relationship. God has adopted us to be God's children, not because of anything we have said or done, but because God loves us. Knowing who God is reveals who we are, and who we are is beloved. As Romans 8.31 declares, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Christians often refer to God as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we tend to use masculine pronouns to describe God. We need to pause to acknowledge the thousands of years of agrarian, Middle Eastern, patriarchal, even imperialistic influences on the shaping of Scripture's language that have shaped our present imagination to think of God as masculine. But I still like to hold on to the language of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because I find something deeply personal in the way Jesus referred to God as Abba. It's a child's word, like my son calls me Dada. It's a name of, of safety and endearment. God, our Abba, is not like the patriarchal ruler at the top of the food chain. This Yahweh called Abba belongs to a divine dance, always giving and always for the other. We call Jesus the Son of God and the Son of Man, both terms that insist that he was both fully human and somehow fully God. Jesus revealed just how for us God was, that the unnameable and unknowable creator of the universe would take on human form and become a vulnerable Israelite child that this child would grow to heal the sick and befriend the marginalized, that this man would die for the sins of the world, proving God's love toward us. This is God's action in history, revealing to us who God is. If God the Father is for us, God for us, then Jesus the Son is God with us. Jesus is God experiencing the fullness of human existence, walking with us through temptation, through suffering, even through death. Jesus is the wisdom, the Sophia, the divine feminine of God. Jesus is the logos, the logical pattern of the universe, the word of God that brings order and meaning and purpose. Jesus is the Christ, the cosmic victor over every empire that seeks to crush human dignity and worth. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us until the very end, even beyond. What we learn from Jesus' action is step number two of the divine dance. God's pattern is death and resurrection. If we are invited to participate in the divine dance, to be partners with God, then we enter that pattern of loss and renewal. We deny ourselves take up our cross daily, and follow this 
crucified, risen Lord. Every time we face suffering and death, we trust that this loss, this self-emptying, this surrender will lead to new life, rebirth, an expanded and abundant level of being. Unfortunately, most of us would rather bypass this fundamental pattern of God. Father Richard Rohr explains, we want resurrection without death, answers without doubt, light without darkness, the conclusion without the process. We struggle and fight against God and ask, why do you let bad things happen to good people? And we are answered with Christ on the cross. Then we are answered again with the empty grave. God's very self is relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three continually self-emptying unto one another, all three continually giving to creation, all three continually loving one another completely. And in that love, they are one. As we join God's pattern of death and resurrection, we surrender ourselves as well, and we join the one God. So we've learned that doctrine is to serve God's action, right? God's action has revealed that God is for us. God's action has also revealed that God is with us through the pattern of death and resurrection. Now, through the Holy Spirit, God's action reveals that God is within us. Yahweh, I am who I am, has always been trying to be close to God's people. We saw it in the Garden of Eden when God walked and talked with Adam and Eve. We saw it with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob when God blessed and wrestled with this growing nation of Israel. We saw it in the Exodus when God rescued Israel. We saw it in the tabernacle and then the temple when God made a home amid Israel. We even saw it in the exile when God promised to raise the people to new life. But nowhere is it more clear that God wants to be close to us than in the release of the Holy Spirit. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit made a home in every single human being. A spark of the divine dance is alive in every person, beckoning us to come and dance with God. Now, John Wesley expressed it this way, it's the first wish to please God, the first dawn of light concerning his will. And it's the first slight transient conviction of having sinned against God. Richard Rohr refers to the Holy Spirit as a homing device put inside of you and all creation too. He goes on to say, for all our stupidity and mistakes, there's in everything this deep internal dignity convinced of its own value. This divine indwelling keeps insisting, I am what I am seeking. The Holy Spirit of God already alive and at work within you is calling you to meet this Jesus who put the Spirit in you in the first place. She's calling you to meet this Abba Yahweh who sent Jesus so that God could be with you. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit draws you back to the Father in this beautiful circular dance. And my friends, we were made to dance. Through the Holy Spirit, we find that the third step to the dance looks a lot like prayer and responsive action. We respond to what God is already doing in the world and in us. 
Prayer is the movement of the Holy Spirit in you to connect with God's heart for healing, forgiveness, and reconciliation. It's the spark of God in you wanting to connect you to infinite Yahweh. It's how we can join Christ in calling our Creator Abba. Prayer is listening to that homing device in your heart and saying, God, I want what you want. I desire what you desire. And, and, and where my wants and desires are out of sync with yours, restore me more and more to look like Christ Jesus. Prayer is not a transaction with some great Santa Claus in the sky. It's a deep and personal connection that reestablishes the image of God in us. And this prayer turns into responsive action. The Holy Spirit fills you to the brim with God's grace so that it spills out into the world through your words and actions. Your life begins to be patterned after the divine dance, the pattern of death and resurrection, of surrender and new life. It's why Jesus said the greatest commandment was twofold. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. To love God is to love your neighbor, right? Whom God created. And to love your neighbor is to love God. Prayer leads to action, and action leads to prayer, because we can't do it on our own. We are finite, limited beings who must draw strength from the infinite, unlimited God. The Apostle Paul calls this the ministry of reconciliation. As we join the Christ who reconciles all things to himself in heaven and on earth. Jesus is doing the work, and we're invited to come along and make it happen on earth as it is in heaven. Because of God's action in human history, we came to believe what is expressed in 1 John 4, 16, that God is love, and those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. Love is active. Love is a verb. God cannot not love. God doesn't choose to love. God is love. God is for us. God is with us, and God is within us. The Holy Spirit is often described as the relationship between the Father and the Son, and that relationship lives within every single human being, calling us to communion, calling us to recognize and embody the fullness of our worth and dignity. And if we have worth and dignity, then so does every other part of creation in whom the Spirit is moving. And if dignity is everywhere, then we are partners in Christ's ministry to affirm that worth in all of creation. We are partners in the ministry of reconciliation to black lives and all people of color. We are partners in the ministry of reconciliation to Asian Americans and Native Americans. We are called to proclaim the image of God with women everywhere, with the LGBTQ plus community, with differently abled communities, with the poor, the sick, the imprisoned, with the created world, even with our enemies. We see the dignity everywhere, and we join the divine dance by emptying ourselves so that we can experience new life in all things. Now, I can't dance, 
but that doesn't mean I'm afraid to dance. I like to imagine that Jesus was a pretty da bad dancer like me. I mean, the man was a carpenter and a teacher. Can you just see him doing the sprinkler at the wedding of Cana? Maybe you hear this word today and, and it brings you hope. Hope for a bigger God, a closer God, a God who sees you and transforms you. Or you might hear this word today and it just muddied the waters too much. It's, it's too much to wrap the brain around. God seems too difficult to grasp. We talk about God as Trinity because God has been revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's, it's okay if you don't get the lingo down. After all, what we believe must always follow God's action. And God is acting. God is dancing with creation, bringing all things together in Christ, whose very pattern is death and resurrection. God is for you. God is with you. God is within you. I hope you enjoy the dance. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Charlie, for that powerful message. We've been gathered for worship, and now we depart to serve. Because wherever you are, there the ministry of the church is. As we move into this week, remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Amen.
Hi guys, smash that like button, subscribe, and turn on notifications.